Well, if you have ever attended uh, one of our newcomer gatherings here at Oaks Parish, uh, tell the story of our name and how we came about the, the name of our church, Oaks Parish. Our very first year here, we were beginning the work of planting uh, this church, and I was on staff at Imago Day Community as a church planner in residence, and the staff team there had invited us uh, to come on board and just to kind of forget about everything that we'd ever known in ministry and just start fresh and asked, what does the good news of Jesus uh, mean for the city of Portland? And I had a variety of mentors on staff at the time, uh, one of them named Luke Hendricks. Uh, I was processing lots of different questions and observations with him. Uh, one question I asked him and was processing with him is what to name our church. And he said, you know, if you're going to be a church in and for the city, you should choose a name that would be indigenous to the city. And so I thought and thought and thought on that and, and never could come up with something. But one night over Christmas that first year, I had a dream. And in this dream, uh, I was at a neighborhood gathering at my former church. And I was having a conversation with a leader at this church and the conversation was about what we should name this church plant. And he looks at me in the eyes and he says, I think you should name it Oaks Parish. And I woke up. I was like, what in the world? And I always want you to know, I, I don't do many things around here based on my dreams. But this felt significant. So I grabbed coffee, jumped on the Google, started Googling stuff. And I come across this one page article from the Oregon Department of Forestry. It's here on the screen. And I'm reading this article, and it dawns on me that the four parts of a tree directly correspond with these four core values that were beginning to emerge in our church plant. Four things that were really important to me pastorally and personally of what I had envisioned our church to become. And we can always envision these four parts of the tree. You can find them on the postcard that Hallie Cresswell designed, that we want to be deeply rooted in the gospel of grace, that as a church we're growing up in a particular place that we want to be faithfully present to, that we grow up in a, a particular way. These formative rhythms of the church are like the trunk of a tree. And then there's a diverse uh, family that lives, wildlife that lives in the top of this tree in the branches that are an extended family. At uh, Newcomers Gathering, I go into a deep dive about all this. By the way, we have one of those coming up on October 29th. But about the trunk of an Oregon white oak, the article says this. In the wood products industry, Oregon white oaks, strong, hard, and attractive wood is sometimes used for flooring and other wood products. It has also been used for furniture, chairs, and wine barrels, and is also frequently used for firewood. And when I read this, I thought, man, this is the effect of the gospel in our lives. We know that God loves us, that he gave his life for our sin, that he does have the power to renew every aspect of our life. That power makes us a different kind of people. Hopefully more like craft, furniture, and wine barrels than firewood. But it makes us a different kind of people. Paul speaks to this in his letter to the church in Corinth. He says, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust... So we also bear the image of the man of heaven. 
That's a significant difference. Dust, heaven. It's a difference of substance, of durability, and beauty. That's what we were made for. Substance, durability, beauty. But we often don't feel like that, do we? Week in and week out. There are those mornings where we barely take a shower. We're herding kids into the van. Somebody forgot a shoe and you don't realize it until you get to the parking lot of Trader Joe's. And we're tackling a million things during the day at work. And then we get to the end of the day and we have no idea what happened all throughout the day. We're weary from the drama of our marriage, our workplace, school. You know, even if we are looking to Christ this morning for salvation, many times it doesn't feel like we're bearing the image of the man of heaven. How are we shaped in a way that makes a difference, that closes that gap? What is it that keeps us from being shaped? That's what I want to explore here this morning. And we're going to do it in Romans 12, 1 through 2. We're going to talk about three things, consecration, transformation, and examination. See, I, I, you see what I did there? I tried to make it easy on you. Consecration, transformation, and examination. We begin with what Paul says about consecration in verse 1. I'll read it again. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's consecration. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Need to call to mind what Paul's getting at in the larger context of the book of Romans. Paul spends the first 11 chapters of Romans unpacking the gospel in a variety of ways to help Jews and Gentiles who were coming from radically different, radically diverse backgrounds. He's been helping them understand how their only hope for unity is in Jesus. You might imagine that following Jesus caused a significant shift for both groups in the religious rhythms of their life. For centuries, Jews had traveled to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices of sin and thanksgiving for God's faithfulness. But here in the first century, it it seems that God had gone silent. They hadn't heard from him in a while. They were uncertain of where he was at or what he was going to do. Meanwhile, Gentiles were visiting other types of temples where in their local town they would be making a sacrifice or bringing an offering to the god or goddess hoping for a blessing. If something really significant was going on in life, maybe a career transition, perhaps they would make pilgrimage to Ephesus and make a sacrifice to the goddess Artemis there in Ephesus. These rhythms... They formed both Jews and Gentiles in a particular way. Scholar James K.A. Smith says that all habits and practices are ultimately trying to make us into a certain kind of person. So one of the most important questions we need to ask is, just what kind of person is this habit or practice trying to produce? And to what end is such a practice aimed? In the first century, whether you were a Jew or a Gentile, 
these visits to the temple, they produced an insecure sort of person. You're making these offerings trying to get security, not necessarily knowing that you were, whether or not you were finding it. And whether you worshiped Yahweh or Artemis, you were always wondering, will I ever find peace and joy and life? Our habits tell us a great deal about our heart. You know, we're no different from those first century Jews and Gentiles. We too face all kinds of uncertainty in our life and we act on that uncertainty in our career, in our families, with our kids, in our marriages, in relationships, in the community. And just like those first century people, we too make visits to temples to try to cope, try to deal with these uncertainties of life. But our temples aren't in Jerusalem. They're not in Ephesus. Many times they're not in physical spaces at all. These temples are Instagram, Twitter, our newsfeed, our inbox, our apps. How many times have you sat down on your couch, opened up your phone, and quietly said to yourself, ah, now it's time for a little relief. But what happens? Do you find that relief? No, instead, we get angry at the latest political development. We're sad that we're not going to that resort in Greece. We don't measure up to the mom that woke up at 4 a.m. and had the perfect day, or the dad who has six-pack abs at midlife. Research from the Barna Group says that technology offers us many wonderful benefits. But when surveyed, participants were asked, in what ways has technology actually made your life more difficult? Here were the top answers. Participants said, I waste a lot of time. I'm more distracted. My devices sometimes separate me from people. I feel like I can never disconnect. It seems like my attention span is shorter. I feel less productive. I feel anxious when I'm not with my phone. And that's a formative rhythm. We've been shaped into a particular end, into a particular kind of person. And yet Paul here gives us a juxtaposition that in God's mercy, Christ has become the once and for all sacrifice that gives us the security for which we long. We don't have to visit temples, real or virtual hoping to find peace and joy and life. All of that is already ours as we look to Christ. Justin Early, in his book, The Common Rule, says, we become what or who we reflect, which is to say that we become what we pay attention to. We can't become ourselves by ourselves. The way we discover ourselves is by staring at someone else. So as we stare into our, our news feed, we don't find solace. Our news feed is great for information, not great for consolation. And we stare into our news feed, we're exposed to a world of issues. We're bringing our insecurities and we become more insecure and we join with the whole host of humanity feeling anxious, worried, 
angry. But when we pay attention to Christ, we look to the one who cares about our life and his world. We find the one who gave his life to make things right. The one who has the power to reverse any misfortune. The one who is reigning despite claims or appearances. And the one who will return and make all things new. We become what we pay attention to. What does it look like to pay more attention to Christ? That brings us to the second idea here that Paul presents to us, transformation. Paul is calling us to consecration. But now we need to become those consecrated people, transformation. You know, paying attention to Christ, and you could probably guess this by experience, it isn't something that comes naturally to us this side of heaven. Part of what's broken in this world is our relationship with God fundamentally. And that happened because we were distracted by another voice. Richard Foster says that the problem with the living sacrifice is that it always wants to get off the altar. Isn't that true? We just become distracted. So paying attention to Christ is a matter of habit. Because of the effect of original sin, it's not something that just happens this side of heaven. One day, when we're living in his glory, when we're literally looking at him face to face, it will be easy, it will be seamless to pay attention to Christ. But for now, it requires intentionality. It requires intentionality to reshape our life in a Godward direction. That's why Paul in verse two says, do not be conformed to this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Justin Early, uh, who wrote this book, Common Rule, I quoted him just a moment ago. He's a corporate attorney living in Richmond, Virginia. And he tells the story of working for his law firm, but he was the designated liaison to their London office. So each morning, he would wake up eight hours behind. And he got in this habit of opening up his inbox first thing in the morning to discover a whole day's worth of things to think about, problems to solve, emergencies to handle. And that's just how the day started. He gets into this habit. And one morning, he woke up to the cry of his infant son. And as he was rolling out of bed, just out of habit, he picks up his phone and he starts looking at his inbox, email after email. He's processing, calculating the day, making plans. And then a, a strange feeling came over him that he should be paying attention to something else. And as if a spell was broken, he once again heard the cry of his infant son. Unconsciously, a habit had formed. He would wake up insecure about the day, anxious. He would open his inbox. He would enter into that temple, so to speak, but he wouldn't find consolation. He would just become more anxious, more secure, more distracted, all the while forgetting about life's most important priorities. And seeing how he had become conformed to this world, he set about changing his habit. 
in addition to attending his, to his crying son when needed, he realized that he needed to be with God before anything else happened in the day. And as he got into a new habit of reading scripture, of sitting in the presence of the Lord, of praying, he was able to begin the day as a very different kind of person. This is how we define formative rhythms here at Oaks Parish. This is in the front of your worship guide each and every Sunday. The rhythms of our life shape our character. And at Oaks Parish, we anchor our practices in scripture and the historical church. Our liturgical and expressive practice of gathered worship on Sunday pervades and shapes our rhythms of prayer, study of scripture, and gatherings throughout the week. This process of intentional formation or discipleship, it's what shapes us to become more like Jesus. Paul describes this as the renewing of the mind. And as Westerners, when we read that phrase, the renewing of the mind, what do we think? Oh, we'll go buy a book on Amazon. We'll get the information download. And then after we acquire this new knowledge set, we'll be a different sort of person. But that's not what the word mind means in the original Greek. That word for mind, it captures a thorough understanding of life in our thought, our feelings, our will. It's a comprehensive description of how we approach the whole of life. You know, over the years, um, I visited the monastery at Mount Angel number of times personally. It's where we do an annual retreat here at Oaks Parish called the Abide Retreat. And over the years, I've been struck by the formative rhythm of life among the monks who live there. It's not that they're just sitting around all day having theological conversations. They actually are very busy with a lot of different kinds of work. But work and relationship flow in and out of this sanctuary that sits at the top of the hill five times a day. And I love that picture that all of life is flowing in and out of this sanctuary over and over and over and over again. It's like waves, the tide moving in and off the coast. I came back from sabbatical a couple of years ago. I had it in my mind to build more of a monastic life like that. That I would live my life in such a way that I would abide with Christ, not just for a few minutes in the morning, but that my life could possibly be marked by attention to his pervasive presence all throughout the day. And this is why worship here on Sunday morning is so central. Because it's, it's through walking through the liturgy of Sunday morning that we understand and are equipped to walk through the liturgy of the rest of life all throughout the week. We learn to call upon God. We capture his melodies in our heart. We see him face to face in scripture and in prayer. We experience the hospitality of his welcome and peace. That as we come to this table, we see him at the center of every table. 
that we know at the end of this, that as we go back into the city and into our homes, into our neighborhoods, that we are a sent people loved by God. Our life becomes like the monks at the abbey. Our Christian life flows in and out, in and out of this sanctuary. And as a result, our life is marked by his pervasive presence. And as we experience that, we become a transformed people, no longer conformed to the way of this world, but renewed in our whole being. Finally, examination. The result of consecration and transformation is that it reorients us in a different way so that we begin to approach the whole of life differently. Paul describes this in verse two. So that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Those three words are interesting. Good, acceptable, perfect. That's what we are becoming. Good means that we have a beneficial understanding of life or or what is beneficial, what is good for life. That our life is lived in a way that's acceptable, that's well-pleasing unto God. That word perfect means mature. It exhibits wisdom. That sounds like something I want to be is a person who understands that which benefits life, that I live my life pleasing unto God and I'm walking with wisdom. How does that happen? Well, many times we have an all or nothing mentality. I realized this in a recent recent staff lunch. Uh, Karen, Martha, Alex, and me, we all went to lunch together and we were going around the table talking about what we were reading. It was fascinating to hear what they were reading. But when it came my turn, <clears throat> I described how recently I had been incredibly busy. I haven't been very motivated to pick up any book at night. Uh, and I just kind of feel intellectually starved. And it all kind of felt overwhelming to figure out how to begin reading again at night. So Karen began processing this with me. And then Martha jumped in and Martha said, well, what would it look like just to take 15 minutes at night to read? And then Alex said, what about just one page? And then all of a sudden, recovering my intellectual life seemed possible. And what I notice is that when I'm consistently reading, my soul feels alive. You know, mentally, the sparks begin to happen. Uh, My readings become a connection point between Amanda and me. It causes me to think about life from different angles. There's such a joy in reading day after day after day. My mind is shaped. I grow as a person. It's the same spiritually. There's a reason why in in the first question of three questions on the back of your postcard is this question. What is your next step in discipleship with Jesus? You know, for whatever reason, when we think about spiritual growth, it's often go big or go home. You know, we're going to read the Bible through a year. Uh, we're going to join three Bible studies every week. We're going to serve every week at church. Or that all feels too overwhelming. We're just going to give up altogether and not do anything. So here's the invitation. Take a deep breath. What's that one thing? What's that one next step that will make a difference? We become what we pay attention to. 
And that's why formative rhythms is a core value here at Oaks Parish. All of our apps are great for information, not great for consolation. If we want to become a person of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and generosity and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, that will never be found in our newsfeed, on social media, or in our inbox. But if we pay attention to Christ, we will become the people we were made to be. Let your life flow in and out of this sanctuary each and every week. And not all at once, but over time you'll notice something profound. That song after song, reading after reading, prayer after prayer, coming to this table over and over again, conversation after conversation, you will become a very different kind of person. And all of us, according to Paul, with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. Let me pray. O God, our King, by the resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, on the first day of the week, you conquered sin, put death to flight, and gave us the hope of everlasting life. Redeem all our days by this victory. Forgive our sins, banish our fears, make us bold to praise you and to do your will. And steal us to wait for the consummation of your kingdom on the last great day. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.